Is everybody good? Yes? All right. Well, we have been in a series on our four-point mission here at the church. And so last week, Darren started you off, and we're kind of going out of order because he's preaching two of the points, and I'm preaching two of the points. And so he's in Petersburg today preaching what he preached last week here. And so last week, he started off our series with our passion. And it's not hard to figure out, but our passion around here is his presence, right? Without his presence, there's no point to it all. So our passion is his presence. And today, we're going to be talking about our priority. Our priority is people. Our third one is our purpose. Our purpose is in serving. And our fourth one is our pursuit. And our pursuit is in bringing his kingdom to earth. And so today we're going to spend some time looking at what our priority is, and that is in people. And I want to start out, before we get into talking about people, I want us for a moment just to talk about priorities. Priorities in life. Because here's, here's what a priority is. A priority is the fact or condition of being regarded or treated as most important. Right? So... The, the truth is, in our life, we have different priorities based upon their importance. And so the real heart of the issue is knowing who or what defines your priorities. Knowing who or what defines your priorities and my priorities, right? We can let the world and all of the busyness of the world define our priorities. Or we can allow Jesus and his word to define our priorities. And so Jesus gave the, he, he, in Luke chapter 10, he, he's at the home of Mary and Martha. And you all, most of you will know this story because you either think, oh, I'm a Mary or I'm a Martha, and poor Martha gets a bad rap in this passage. But here's the, the truth that Jesus is trying to pull out of it. And so in Luke 10, 38, now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, this is where she gets the bad rap. Do you not, um, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Tattletale. Nobody likes a tattletale. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. 
Yeah, all the Marys are saying amen, and all the Marthas in the room are looking at you ameners saying, okay, who's going to clean the carpets? Who's going to take out the garbage, right? I know, because I'm a Martha that has had to learn the ways of Mary. <laughs> the truth is, is that Jesus is establishing the priority. One thing is needed. I'm not going to pull her away from her position at my feet. What is he doing? He's establishing priorities. Is the cooking important? Yes. But is it the priority? No. So what is happening here? Jesus is defining the priorities. He's saying, let's reevaluate Martha and get our priorities in order. Don't stop doing that, but I'm not going to make Mary stop doing her thing. I'm defining the priority. And, and here's why Jesus gets to define our priorities. Because he is the head and we are the body, right? The body doesn't tell the head what to do. The head tells the body what to do. So the head defines the priorities of the body, right? And in and, and Colossians chapter 1, it explains this in verse 13. He is the image, Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the glue. And here's why. He is the head of the body, the church. And so the priority of the church has to be what the head says is the priority. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And that's what we want in this house, is the preeminence of Christ. He is the head, we are the body. The head tells us what the priority is. We let him define that for us. And so on our second our, our second point of mission, when we're saying what our priority is, we're saying this is what we believe the head says is important. And why do we think that? Well, he said that. It's so simple, really, and we so complicate it all. We are able to allow Christ See, sometimes people get hesitant about trusting him with these matters. I'm a little nervous about letting Christ define my priorities. That might mean change in my life, right? Maybe I don't want him to. He might call me to the mission field, right? <laughs> you never know what he might ask of you to do, what priorities he may give to you. I'll never forget about a year ago, talking about our young people and investing into the next generation. And I remember Deborah that week calling me and saying, hey, 
she was challenged by that statement of investing. And every Wednesday night since, she has been back there faithfully pouring into our children. What did she do? She allowed the Lord, and she works all day with kids as a teacher and comes often straight from work to invest in our kids. What has she done? She allowed Christ to define her priority, right? And so here's, here's the thing. We can trust him to define it for us. In Mark 10, here's the call of Christ. Jesus, looking at the young man who came, man who came to him and said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus looked at him and said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. Oh yeah, that's what happens when you ask Jesus to define your priorities, right? That makes some of you a little nervous. And the truth is, is that young man walked away. And Jesus looked at him and loved him, but he walked away. He could not align his life priorities to what Christ was defining it as. You all have heard me talking over the past year. Well, you've all heard me bemoaning the loss of my garden. But the, the truth is, is that when I look at my garden, and there's a part of sorrow because the weeds, I mean, if you want to get a very visual picture of Christ-defining missions, drive through my back alley and look at my garden. The weeds are taller, I think, than Darren. And what do I see? I don't go out there because it's sad. <laughs> but when I look out my kitchen window and I see it, what I see is saying, Christ, you define my priorities. And you've called me for this season to do something else. And what is that? That is me saying, God, you're the head. I'm just the body. And so you define. And in Matthew 6, there's this interesting truth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart, you would like to think that your treasure would follow your heart, but the truth is, is that your heart follows your treasure. And so the things that mean the most to you, where you invest them, there's where your affections and your heart is at. Okay, so if you, you think about that practically. What does that mean? So Deborah has limited time and energy. But because she's taken her time and energy, these are treasures to her. It's not always about money. In this day and age, it's often our time and our energy. And she has said, I'm going to invest it in these children. Do you know where her heart will be because the, her time and her energy are there? That's where her heart will be. It is true with money. If you give, if you don't have a heart for missions, my guess is it's because you have not put your treasure into missions. Whether it be financially, whether it be volunteering to help raise money for missions, whether it be going on a missions trip, as soon as you begin to invest money, time, strength into missions, I guarantee you, your heart will be there. And so 
when we begin to say, God, what is the priority? I'm going to begin to invest in it. It may not be your priority, but because you invest, whether you feel it or not, before long, his priority will become your priority. That's how it works. You can't wait, oh, until I'm emotionally moved to do so. No, that comes when you, by faith, obey Christ and step into his priorities. Then your emotions will be there, your, your, um, your heart's affections, your desires will be found there because you've invested there. And so today what we're talking about is a key priority of Christ. And we know this because he simply says it in the commandments. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? We know he responded, love the Lord, your God, right? Our passion is his presence. And the second one being, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so there being our second mission people because he listed it as the second greatest people and so we've been talking a lot in this past year about people and community and and this is important because this is the second commandment that he has given this is the whole mission of christ coming to earth laying aside the riches and the glory of heaven to come into this earth, this mess. Why? Because you and I were his mission. People are his mission. Therefore, people is our mission, right? And so I, I know we talked a little bit about this not too long ago, but we're going to revisit Luke chapter 10, the account of the Good Samaritan, because the truth is, is that how we treat people is a big deal to Jesus. It's a big deal to Jesus. And, and you know, you all know my natural tendencies as the introvert. I had to really love and give myself to learning to love people. Because I would rather sit in my back garden for days by myself and have nobody around. I get irritated when I see my neighbor outside when I'm trying to garden. But I have to, I have to, his priority is people, right? And so I've had to learn to take on his priority. And so in Luke chapter 10, we have this account that we're going to read together, starting in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus asks him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, doing what we all like to do, justifying himself to Jesus, he says, well, who is my neighbor? We're going to come back to that question in a moment. 
Verse 30, then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come back again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Listen, this lawyer, he, he read the law. He understood the law. It was his job to interpret the law. And he asked this question, who is my neighbor? Why? Because he wants to know technically, who am I required to love? I don't want to have to love anybody I'm not required to. And, and here's an interesting truth about, about Israelites and the Gentiles. The Israelites, would not, um, they would not put an Israelite to death for killing a Gentile because he was not his neighbor. The Gentiles were not considered their neighbors, so if you killed one, they would not put you to death. They indeed say they ought not to kill a Gentile whom they are not at war with, but if they saw a Gentile in danger of death, they thought themselves under no obligation to save them. And so there's no obligation to any of the Gentiles legally if you see them in harm, because they are not your neighbor. They are a Gentile. And so this man is looking for the technicalities. I want to know exactly who you're talking about, Jesus, because that's the one I will bother to love. This is not the heart of Christ at all, is it? And all the Gentiles say amen, right? If you're not an Israelite, you are a Gentile. And so this lawyer is trying to do as little as possible to squeak by into heaven. As the body of Christ, this is the exact opposite of where our heart's intent should be. We are all in, Jesus. We are all in. Now our two men that came along, this man... Here's something that you need to understand as the Levite and the priest came alongside this road to Jericho. This road from Jericho and Jerusalem, Jerusalem is high in elevation. 
and Jericho is low. And so it's a steep, it's a steep hill that they are traversing. It's about an 18-mile walk between the cities. And it was known to be a highway for robbers and thieves. And it's not, now we complain a lot about our roads in Illinois, but until you see this road, you'll drive down the roads thanking the Lord for even the potholes. So I want to give you a little picture of the road that this man was beaten upon and that the priest and the Levite came upon. So Nick, oh, there we go. It looks more like actually a pretty nice hiking trail to me. But this was actually the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. You can see how narrow it is, how rocky it is, how it would be easy for bandits to hide and get away. Okay, so if you have, my guess is that the man would have been beaten and then kind of tossed down along the side a, l a little bit in that ditch right? And so along, my guess is, is that this priest is headed to do work in the temple when he comes alongside the wounded man. And what does it say? He went to the other side. Well, the other side is like a couple of feet. He had to really like be upon this man, right? And so, nope, I see him, but he's not my neighbor. He's a Gentile. So I'm going to walk along. And so then along comes the Levite. And he actually, what did it say? He came and looked. So he actually walked over, took a look, and then, nope, I'm going to keep on my way. And then comes a certain Samaritan. A Samaritan of that nation which all others, of all the others, the Jews most despised and detested and would have no dealings with. They would walk around Samaria to avoid walking through it. This is how much despisement there was between these two groups of people. And yet it's a Samaritan that stops and begins to bandage and begins to heal and begins to take on the burden of him. Did he even question whether this man was his neighbor or not? No. And so the question, really, with Christ, see, Jesus always took the law to another level. Oh, it's not enough that you commit adultery. If you even look at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery, right? Jesus always takes it to the next level. Oh, you haven't murdered anybody, but if you even look, if you have unforgiveness towards somebody, you have murder in your heart. He takes it all to the next level. And Jesus takes loving people to the next level. The question with Christ no longer becomes, who is my neighbor? The question becomes, how good of a neighbor am I? Right? How good of a neighbor am I? And I love the word neighbor because you don't pick your neighbors. You pick your friends, but you don't pick your neighbors. 
this account of the, the Good Samaritan is really not just an account of how somebody is treating somebody. It's an account of our story. It's an account of your story, and it's an account of my story. Because the truth is, is that Satan came, and he robbed you, and he robbed me, and he stripped me, and he wounded me. And the law of Moses, the law of the Old Testament, came along and was not sufficient, could not heal. It was of no help to us until the great Samaritan came along, till Jesus, our great Samaritan, came along and found me cast aside the trail and he healed me, he bound up my wounds, he clothed me, and he restored me. He restored that which was stolen from me, relationship with the Father. And so the story of the Good Samaritan is my story. And the truth of it is that Jesus, the Samaritan, is our example of giving value to people. He gave value, even using the Samaritan as the hero of the story. He's giving value to him and to that group of people. Jesus always gives value and worth. Where Satan tries to devalue and strip worth and strip identity, Christ comes to impart value and worth and identity. He did it for me, and he did it for you. And as ones that he has done it for, he calls us to likewise do it for other people. There's this powerful verse in Deuteronomy 32, and it's beautiful because it really, even as uh, Brianna was sharing this morning at the, in the opening, it goes along with what she was talking about. And it says, for the Lord's portion is his people. What? He, he considers you of such value that you are his portion. Jacob, Israel, is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And we've all, as Gentiles, been brought in to being the apple of his eye. Do you know what that phrase actually means, literally? The apple of his eye. It means little man of the eye. Little man of the eye. It means that God came down and got so up close and personal with you that the reflection in his pupil of you is there. You're the little man of his eye. He is so near to you that you can see your reflection in his eye. That is value. That is worth. That is the priority of the Lord the little man of the eye. 
When you think that God is so far and he has forsaken you, listen, that's not what the word says. Where you can't even see and feel, he is near to you. You are the little man of his eye. And how we view people. See, I've learned to be very careful in how I, what I say about people, how I view people. Because they're the little men and women of God's eyes. And he, where man might cast off, God draws them in, draws them close. And so if that's what the head is doing, the body also better be doing it. The body better be bringing people near to God. It's our job to make those God connections, right? Anybody that's heard me ever teach or preach has heard me refer to missionary Heidi Baker. You may Have you heard of Heidi Baker? You would love Heidi Baker because of her work with the orphans of Mozambique. She has taken over the country and caring for the orphans, the castoffs. She gets into the garbage dumps of Mozambique and takes in those that the world has cast off. And she's all about loving the one in front of you. And, and she says this, every single human being is created in the image of God. Created for dignity. Created for the Father's love. Created for kindness. Created for mercy. Every single human being. The neighbor that might be distasteful to you, that might clash with you, that might just be coarse and hard to love, has been created in the image of God, has been created for dignity, has been created. The enemy has stripped dignity from people. The enemy has stripped value and worth. And our job as the body is to restore that which was stolen to people. It is our mission. It is why we set up these tables and invite the community onto our property. It's why when I, when I have customers come through and just a couple of minutes with them, I try to give them all of the attention I can in that moment so that I see them, that I hear even those couple of sentences that reveals things in their life. Doesn't matter whether it's here or out there. You are the body. We are the body. And so in your workplace and in your family, in your school, whatever you're doing, our job is to, to bring dignity and kindness and the love of God to people. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, according to Micah? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, to act justly with people that have experienced injustice, to show mercy where they have never known mercy, to have enough humility to wash the feet of the dirtiest of the dirty, that's humility. This is what he requires of us. And if we bring it all back around to the account of Mary and Martha, 
the, the truth is, is that Jesus had a unique love relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were close friends of his, and he liked to be in their home. Why is that? Well, both Mary and Martha are there. And, and Mary had the unique gift of sitting at the feet of Jesus, but I, and I know that Martha in this moment was in a weak place, but I believe she had a heart to serve people and to love people. And I believe it's the, that attraction to their home that drew Jesus. They loved him there, and they had a heart for people. The truth is, is that Mary was a little frazzled because her home was filled with people sitting at Jesus' feet. I love to have people in my home, but it's stressful. <laughs> it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. And sometimes that can, you know, bring out some fleshiness. But I deal with the fleshiness because I want people around me. Because that's what Jesus wants. And so I believe that his pull toward this home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha is because the, there was the love of Christ and there was a love of people in that home. And so for us, for our mission, our mission here in this house, it's a part of this house, but we're all a part of the house. And it's not enough for us to up here say, people are our priority. If you're not and I'm not walking as though people are my priority. Amen? We all are part of the body. We all have different roles. We all have different places. We all have different influences. But through it all, our priority has to be people. What other reason is there to still remain on this earth and not just be taken up with Christ when you came to Christ, right? Because our job is to make people a priority. And so who is my neighbor is not the question. The question is, how good of a neighbor am I? And so I want us today to end, because I believe all of us, some of you are definitely more people-oriented. Some of you are not. But regardless, it is our priority. And we all have areas of growth, because we all have weaknesses in this area. And so in our weaknesses, we want him to come he is, he said, take up your cross and follow him. That means he's going to teach us his ways. He's going to teach us how to love people. He's going to teach us how to interact with the one you're having trouble interacting with. And so we are saying we're on this journey of making people a priority. Rabbi Jesus, teach us how. How to love. How to be unconditional. Amen. So here's what I want us to do this morning. So having said that, I believe we all should be answering this call. And so I'm going to ask if you all will just stand this morning in your seat. Or not in front of your seat. <laughs> Come on, Brenda, climb up on top of there. <laughs> our... our our passion is definitely his presence, but our priority then, having engaged with his presence, is people. And Jesus, in this house, our prayer is that every one of us standing here
would allow you to, first of all, define our priorities. And so we, first of all, lay at your feet all of the things in our lives that pull at us and call for attention. We lay them at your feet, and we ask that, Jesus, you would teach us how to prioritize in the manner in which you would so choose us to prioritize. We lay our families, our jobs, our hobbies, our volunteer work, we lay all of it at your feet, Jesus. We say, here's our lives. But in the midst of the laying down, we're asking you to teach us. Teach us your priorities with each one of them. Teach us how to balance them. Teach us practically how to walk out the priority that you choose for us. And then second, as we stand here before you today, Jesus, we confess, Lord, where we have not loved well. We confess in our weaknesses of engaging with people. We confess where our selfishness has gotten in the way of prioritizing people. And we ask that your heart, your missional heart for people, would go down deeper, that it would touch every area of our lives, it would touch everything that we do, that everything we give ourselves to would become an avenue in which we're able to prioritize people, to love the people around us, to give dignity to the people around us, to share the love of Christ with people around us. We just say to you that we want to take on your mission, your priority. And so would you this week, as we move through our week, would you this week practically teach us how to see people with your eyes? Would you cause us to see people as you do, as the little person in your eye, the value that you give to people and the worth because of the death and resurrection of Christ that is put upon people? Lord, give us eyes to see that value and that worth. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. So let it be. So let it be.